When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, College Cross fans? You are watching another episode of the Lax Factor Podcast. We're on episode 141. Today's episode is brought to you by myself. Go to laxfactor.com, get yourself some swag. We have t shirts, and because today we're opening with Maryland and Johns Hopkins in today's show, talking about that matchup, you can get yourself some Maryland flag shorts. Laxfactor.com. Do that. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, share the video, but we're approaching 10,000 subscribers. So if you would just hit that subscribe button, it doesn't hurt you at all. Don't be a pansy. And let's get into this here now. First game I want to talk about the big rivalry game from the weekend. And it actually started out to be a really good, really close game over the course of the first half. We had number 20, Johns Hopkins against number three, Maryland. Maryland wins this game in the end, 18-10. The story of the game overall was that Hopkins hung tough early. Each team scored four times over the first quarter and three times over the second, giving us a, a knotted up 7-7 ball game at the half. That was I was really surprised and actually pretty excited to see that happen. Joey Epstein reemerged. He, ha- he actually had himself a pretty solid game, mostly worked off ball for the Jays, as has been the case so far this season. He has not carried much, but he did pick up his first assist on the day, and he ended up three goals and a helper for Hop. It was a solid outing overall, and I'm hoping that we see more of that. Next game, five points. Game after that, seven points. Let's see Epstein continue to uh, get back to regular playing form. Third quarter was a totally different story. Uh, for Hopkins. It did not go down the way the first half did. Maryland adjusted. They got comfortable offensively and they put the game away before the, you know, before the start of the fourth for the most part. Six turnovers out of Hopkins over that third quarter versus none turnovers, as my daughter would say when she was three. None turnovers out of the Terps over that quarter. Three of them came in the clearing game and the other three just all over the field. That killed Hopkins. Maryland capitalized often off of those turnovers. Eight goals over the course of the third quarter. They outscored Hop after going 7-7, hanging toe-to-toe for two quarters. 30 minutes, uh, they come out in that third quarter and over the course of that 15 minutes got outscored 8-2-0. That was the ball game, game over. Uh, Maryland stats. Logan Wisnowskis, he had a monster game, two and seven on the day. Jared Bernhardt, who has looked incredible despite having that time off as he was running around trying to play D2 football. He's been really aggressive and has looked good, has been efficient. He was five and one on the day. Uh, Maltz, I always forget which Maltz this is because uh, I, I didn't write it down, so I'm not going to try to remember which I think it's Danny Maltz in this case, three and three, DeMeo, four goals, Logan McNaney and Cage, 11 saves versus nine goals against. So once again, above 50% playing well in Cage for Maryland. And then Nick Grill, he's been a really solid pole for Maryland, three cause turnovers and four ground balls, which is a, a hell of a stat line for a for a pole. Johns Hopkins, we saw Cole Williams get some today, two and three. As I said, Epstein was three and one. DeSimone was quiet with two goals. Still, I still love that move, DeSimone from midfield down to attack. It still is going to help and pay uh, pay dividends for Hopkins. And then Croissant, he had a rough half. He only had, he had none saves, as my daughter would say, in the first quarter. 
only three saves over the second quarter, and then finished solid over the course of the second half. He didn't he didn't have a great day, but it wasn't absolutely terrible. But that was a big rivalry game, and it paid. You know, in terms of the the, it paid for itself over the course of the first half. In terms of my Big Ten Plus subscription, everybody was whining about it again. The Boo Birds crying about the the game being on a paid platform. It's like people, if you want to continue to see these games, someone's gonna have to pay for them. Don't worry, I'll do it because I pay for. I had the Denver subscription for a while. I have the Big Ten Plus. I got ESPN Plus. I got all sorts of subscriptions. I used to have the Ivy League. So I'll do it if you guys don't want to. Um, so it was a good game. People need to stop complaining. Just pay for the Big Ton Plus subscription. I will say their their streams are not all that high quality, but it's it's in line, if not better, than ESPN Plus and some of the lower level streams you see there. It's just out of the Big Ten, I would expect better. But who cares, man? We got lacrosse. Now I'm complaining. See, you made me complain. Vermont at Syracuse. Now I, I cover this one next. This wasn't a big game, but it actually ended up being a lot closer than than even I myself thought. I mean, I thought it was going to be a close to this close, just I didn't think it was going to go down the way it did. It ended up playing out mostly as I expected, as I'll say. Syracuse played well offensively and defensively. Drake Porter had a top-notch game, 20 saves on the day. He saved the ball high, low, and everywhere in between. And, I mean, he had a bunch of doorstep, uh, doorstep saves as well where he was just robbing dudes in one-on-one chances where it didn't play out as either Syracuse planned or myself or anybody else, and where the score ended up being closer than many expected, it came down to these two stat lines. Face-offs. Tommy Burke was incredible. Kid won 24 of 34 draws on the day versus two very good face-off guys in Fop and Varello for Syracuse. The fact that Burke only had 12 ground balls, that means, and you could see it if you watch the game, the Vermont wing play was excellent. Outplayed the Syracuse wings, which are made up typically of Kennedy and uh, you know a bunch of the other. I think the Syracuse face-off crew does it kind of by committee in terms of the short stick D-mids that get in there. But yeah, they outplayed the Syracuse faceoff team like completely, and that factored heavily in the score. When you're winning 24 of the draws and the other team's only winning 10, that is a huge possession disparity in a high-scoring game. Syracuse offensively didn't skip a beat despite the lack of possessions compared to what Vermont had. They were insanely efficient and did a very good job of scoring when they had opportunities to make sure they, they kept control of this game. And then the clears also hurt Syracuse. It, the stat line said that they successfully uh, cleared 23 of 20. 28 times. It didn't feel like that in the game because there was numerous times where it felt like, oh, failed clear, resulted in a settled Vermont goal. It wasn't like Vermont was scoring goals necessarily off the transition in failed clears, but it was those second chances, kind of like a giving up an offensive rebound to the to the, your opposing team in basketball. It felt, felt that way, and it didn't feel like they cleared successfully 23 or 28 times. That's still a bad stat line for Cuso. Cuse, normally a very good clearing team. They'd normally be hanging out in 26 of 28, even 27 of 28 so to have five failed clears that gives Vermont two goals say that makes by itself that changes that margin you know and, and it goes from four goals to six goals if clear if Syracuse could, could have cleared the ball better and then just win a few more face-offs in terms of those scrapping where you're playing those 50-50 balls and that plays out differently as well but Vermont did an excellent job Vermont did an excellent job in their riding game they did an excellent job even in their late riding game it's like hey you get the ball over midfield let's keep ha- harassing and hounding guys until they get settled on offense they did a great job across the board especially uh, the Tommy Burke kid at the faceoff X. Now, despite the poor clearing numbers, Syracuse didn't play bad defense. I saw a lot of people saying, well, Syracuse's defense stinks still, even though they had the good outcome against Virginia. But I think they they let up a handful that I'm sure they wish they could get back. 
But between losing the face-off battle badly and then handing Vermont a lot of second uh, second chances in terms of being able to get their offense going, I think the defense played over well in trying to get stops. They just didn't do a great job of trying to get the ball uh, from that stop to the offensive end in their off- offender's hands. Drake Porter saved Syracuse on a day where without him standing on his head, this game goes down to the wire, possibly a Syracuse loss. The face-off disparity resulted in Vermont getting more shots on cage than Cuse did even, which is very rare in this type of match up for the other team to outshoot Syracuse and he Porter was up to the challenge all day playing well across all four quarters overall Stephen Rafis continued to impress and play aggressive on the attack Scanlon was opportunistic but Rafis has kind of taken over the alpha role for the Syracuse attack and he's been very active in the Virginia game and in this game he didn't have a bad first game he was two and two but it was mostly doing what he typically did which was be opportunistic and take advantage of of, of broken play situations and transition and in these last two games he's been dodging creating feeding even scoring goals he's been great in all, the Cuse attack played tough. All three guys got busy, Rafus, Hiltz, and Scanlon. By the game's end, Rafus was 2-6, and six. Owen Hiltz was 4-1, and one, scoring two goals late to put the game out of reach completely. Chase Scanlon was 3-1, and one. so the Syracuse attack combined for six, nine goals versus the Syracuse first-line mids only combining for five. And I think that was by design to a degree. One of the things that I noticed was Syracuse did not continue on with what worked against Virginia. Against Virginia, Syracuse dodged from X primarily almost the entire game. They barely attacked from out top, and they had they had Curry dodging from X at the midfield. They had Seabold dodging at X from the midfield, and in this, in this game, none of that. They, they kept the attack out back, dodging from X. Dort evicted a little bit out back, and that was it. Other than that, though, Trimboli, Seabold, the... Uh, um, Curry, they all dodged from wings and from out top. So I think the idea there being, hey, we did what we knew was going to work and what had proved via our scouting port was going to work against UVA because Army had success attacking UVA from out back with Nick Turn and company. So Syracuse did that against UVA where you really got to mold the game plan totally to the opponent. And then you play a team like Vermont who's very capable, but you know, you don't, they didn't have that same scout apparently on them. So they say, Hey, let's get back to what we do. Let's dodge from out top, from the corners, from the wings, and then let the attack try to get in the mix a little bit more work. Great for them. Uh, Tromboli, uh, Tromboli, two goals, Dordovic, two goals. Curry was one and one. Kennedy was one cause turnover, five ground balls and a helper. So he looked good. Drake Porter, 20 saves versus those 13 goals. And then, uh, Thomas McConvey, four goals for Vermont. He looked good. And then Liam Lamogues, three goals for Vermont. They both, looked solid. So that was a great game out of Vermont. They definitely played well and they deserved to hang in this game because of how they played, especially at that faceoff dot, that Burt kid, hell of a job by him. And he played well the last game. So watch this kid for Vermont. Next game, we're going to talk about Ohio State, number 12, Ohio State at number 15, Penn State. Penn State looked much better offensively. I had predicted that Penn State was going to play angry and pull this one out and that they would start to figure out their offensive problems. And actually, they led this game from the outset, scoring first and then holding the lead through the end of the first half. It was 7-6 by the end of the first half with Penn State taking a 6-2 lead at one point prior to letting Ohio State start to chip back into it. Trey LeClaire scored the final two goals of the second quarter for Ohio State, bringing the Buckeyes back from four down into within a single goal and scoring the second of his mini run with six minutes left in the second quarter. Jack Myers tallied first for OSU, tying the game up at sevens early in the third, but Grant Haas scored just 18 seconds later for Penn State, and the Nittany Lions never trailed the rest of the game, even though Ohio State did keep 
keep things interesting. They kept it interesting enough that if you were watching the game, you weren't turning it off. But Ohio, but you had the feeling that Penn State was had control every time Ohio State would answer. Penn State would answer back and kind of keep that that two goal lead towards the end. Penn State stats. T.J. Malone. That's the number seven. I always forget who number seven is for Penn State. It's T.J. Malone. He had a great game. Five goals and two assists. And I had said that Malone and Folds needed to attack more and try to become goal scorers versus dodging as decoys trying to uh, free things up for O'Keefe. So Folds with four goals had a great game. Mac O'Keefe three goals in the day. And once again, just let O'Keefe do his thing. He, he's not going to be your leading scorer necessarily on a team like this. He's going, but he's going to be a deadly off ball threat. If they can get things working around Malone and folds, I think Kines, not a good game. Three saves versus 13 goals. I don't even know if that stat line is correct, but that's what it says. So uh Kines did not have a good game, but Penn State wins the game anyway. Ohio State, Skyler Wallen, five saves versus 15 goals. So this was not a good day for goalkeepers across the board. Jack Myers, three goals. Trey LeClaire, three goals. Griffin Hughes and Jackson Reed both went two and one for Ohio State. Justin Inacio, he won the faceoff battle, 17 to 29 overall against Arsarian Company. But in the end, it didn't matter for Ohio State. They just couldn't keep Penn State off the board. I think what this really shows us with Ohio State offensively, they're as good as anyone. Defensively, they are not very good, not not in the cage and not on the defensive side of the ball. Water time. All right, next game we are going to talk about is uh, Mercer at North Carolina, number two, North Carolina. UNC won easy, but not quite as easy as I expected. Chris Gray, though, he was a freaking monster in this one, going for six goals and four helpers in the UNC win. He got there off just 12 shots and while only committing a single turnover. Just the efficiency that this kid's putting out is off the charts. As much as I love Michael Sowers, and I think that he's still the best player in the country, you can't argue with uh, the production that Gray's putting out as of right now. We have to wait till they get into their ACC play and finish the season. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of games left to be played, but the way that Gray is playing right now, he is definitely the front runner for the Twarton because he's doing it every which way. He's scoring goals in transition. He's dodging to the rack. He's getting off those Matt Moore. It's almost as if Chris Gray took a page out of Matt Moore's book and said, hey, Matt Moore, hold my beer. Let me show you what a quick release really is while someone's guarding you. A couple of just incredible goals out of Gray in this game. Even the ones that you know the average lacrosse fan wouldn't necessarily think is filthy. Some of those quick releases where he's just coming up the side, his defender's in stride looks good, and he just wraps one overhand jump shot off his defender's head. It's incredible. The rest of the UNC scoring was spread out other than Tanner Cook's two goals and two assists. Anderson and Trippy each put up two goals, and Will Bowen had a good game. Three cost turnovers and picked up a GB. All in all, Mercer didn't play bad. Mercer looked okay, and they really and the, this really odd stat that I'm not sure I've seen before. Eight goals for Mercer in this game, scored by eight different players, and not a single Mercer player in this game had more than one point. So the guys that scored goals scored goals. The guys that had helpers had, I think they had three of their eight goals were assisted, and everybody only put up one point. So that was a weird stat line. Zach Tucci did a really good job at the faceoff dot once again for North Carolina. 11 of the 15 draws he took, he won. But Ashton Wood, Mercer's guy at the dot, he won 12 of 27. So he didn't do bad against a formidable foe in Zach Tucci. 
all goalies that played played well. I like it when I get to say that when that all goalies in this game played well. Colin Kelly put up 17 saves for Mercer. He got tested a lot, but he, you know, 50% again, you want to try to hit that mark even when you're getting murked. And he did that. So he proved he deserves to be between the pipe for Mercer's for Mercer's for Mercer. And then UNC, they held UNC under 20 and they only held UNC under 20 because of how that kid played today. Colin Krieg also played well, stopping eight of the 14 shots he faced for North Carolina. Now we get into some D3 action here. Kyle Lewis, we got Salisbury, number one Salisbury against number 10 Lynchburg on Saturday. Kyle Lewis, Riley Mitchell, and Brett Rogers each contributed two goals in Lynchburg's upset win over Salisbury. They end up winning that game 10-8 to on the day. Salisbury came out hot, jumped out to a 4-1 lead early in the second quarter. Quentin Ritchie scored with just under five minutes left in the half, and Lynchburg scored again with 117 left, getting back to within 4-3. to Rogers to Lewis on that, that goal to get them back to within 4-3. Salisbury came out and struck first in the third, took a two-goal lead, but Lynchburg rattled off three in a row and took their first lead of the game 6-5. From there, Salisbury would tie, Lynchburg would answer, and that song and dance took place for a while until time ran out and Lynchburg won the game. Salisbury would just tie the game up. Lynchburg would score one or two goals, and it just kind of went back and forth, but Lynchburg never relinquished after that. Patrick Moore played really good in cage for Lynchburg, 10 saves, and Lynchburg played tough defense down the stretch, including cause turnovers by Chris Darminio. Oh man, I'm gonna get that wrong. We I almost need to put like this like a Jeopardy song or some kind of jingle in when I'm trying to pronounce guys' names. Chris Darminio. I, yeah, I think I nailed it. Chris Darminio and Jack Albright had back to back. Okay, let me refresh so these kids get their clout properly. Cause turnovers down the stretch, forced by the Lynchburg defense, helped keep Salisbury at bay late in this game. Chris Darminio and Jack Albright on back-to-back possessions caused two turnovers for one each for Lynchburg, and they end up winning this game partly because of that, partly because their goalie had a really solid game, and partly because they scored more goals than Salisbury did. I always want to call Salisbury Salisbury State, but I'm trying to, to fight that urge. Hartford. Lost to number 18, Albany, 16-6. U of Albany beat up on Hartford on the road in this American East tilt. Day Hogan Nanakoke was on the field for the Great Danes and had himself a good day. Three goals, four helpers in his first action this season. Albany jumped out to an early 3-0 lead only to see Hartford answer and get two goals back. But then Day Hogan went on a scoring tear, scores a natural hat trick over a 75-second span. From 741 mark, he scored on a feed from Kyle Casey. 701 mark, unassisted, and then finished that off with a man-up goal at the 626 mark from Ron John, who also had a very good game. Albany never looked back after that. Ron John went 3-2. and two. Albany goalkeeper Liam Donnelly made 10 saves in the cage for the Danes in this win. So it's good to see Albany back to winning again. The America East is going to beat, it, beat itself up. It, it actually seems like they've got three teams right now kind of hanging out at the top of the America East that are all playing tough. You got Stony Brook, who's a quality club. You just had UMBC. Didn't they just beat Stony Brook yesterday? So they're obviously tough. Albany is going to play good lacrosse. Vermont just hung tough with Syracuse. So it looks like it's going to be a good year for the America East Conference. Michigan loses to number five Rutgers 22-12. Similar to the Maryland Hopkins game, this game was closer early, only in the first half in this case here, though. 
Close over the first quarter, 6-4 by the end of the first, but then 12-7 in favor of Rutgers by the end of the half, and then Rutgers just rolled from there. Adam Charlambides was crazy in this one. He goes for four goals and five helpers, three and four over the course of the first half. So he had himself a really good first half in trying to get Rutgers over that hump in the close game that started out being. Kieran Mullins, two and five. Connor Kirst, four and one. They filled out the scoring for Rutgers. That freshman I like for Rutgers, number 27, Shane Knobloch. He was good for a hat trick on the day as well. Colin Kirst continues his tear in cage for the uh, Scarlet Knights, making 19 saves on the day versus those 10 goals. He's been a big surprise, a big part of what Rutgers has done early this season. He's been a big reason their margins of victory have been what they've been because he's literally standing on his head. I didn't see the success coming here. I don't think a lot of the the people talking heads like me that have been previewing the season, I don't think most of us knew that the kid was going to even start and uh, let alone come out here and play this well. So a hell of a job by Colin Kirst in cage for the uh, for the Scarlet Knights. Josh Zuwada continues to struggle and only had a goal. He's just got five goals and three helpers over Michigan's first three games. I mean, that was a single game for him last year. The kid is legit, and it's painful to see because he's such a good player. So don't sleep on Zawada still. He's just struggling and doesn't have a lot of help on this really bad Michigan team. But he is, he is a really solid lacrosse player. And once again, I still believe by his junior, senior year, he's going to be you know, in, in talks for the player of the year, either in his conference or even nationally. Uh, another game, we have Hobart and the Mount, another game that I predicted kind of the flow of the game properly in the pregame live stream at 10 a.m. on Saturday. We do that every week, pregame live stream, 10 a.m. Saturday morning, youtube.com forward slash laxfactor. We'll always throw the link out about 20 minutes before we start on Twitter, so you can find the link there. Or you just come to our channel or subscribe to our channel at 10 a.m. every morning. It's going to pop up in your feed, and you can listen to me ramble live, but I called it. Hobart came storming out of the gate, scoring the game's first two goals before allowing the Mount to control the rest of the first half. Mount St. Mary's held a 7-4 lead at halftime, and that was about what I expected. Hobart had only had a scrimmage. They hadn't played a real game against anybody yet, and the Mount's on like their fourth or fifth game at this point. So I figured we'd see Hobart struggle a little bit early as they tried to get their game legs under them, and then second half as, as things started clicking they'd roll, which is what happened. Hobart scored four unanswered to start the third quarter, took an 8-7 lead at just over the seven-minute mark left, and that's where Ryan Archer took over. The Mount tied it back up at eights. Ryan Archer scored to give Hobart the lead back at 9-8. The Mount tied it up again at nines, and then guess who scored? Ryan Archer again to give Hobart the lead back yet again. Then Archer decides, let's put these fools away, and he scores again with 6-12 left in the fourth quarter, and then Hobart never looked back after. Hobart stats, Archer was 4-3. and three. He is legit. We talked about, you know, hey, they lost uh, they lost uh, Holden to transfer because of COVID. So who is going to step up and, and kind of fill that void as their leading scorer? And Archer is an obvious uh, option in that case there. Jason Knox, number 66. I love that Hobart has a lot of Canadians that wear funky numbers. Knox, I believe, is the one that's, that rocks uh, 66. They might even have a 77 or some crap like that. But Knox goes for three goals. Adam Shea. For Hobart, 15 of 21 from the faceoff dot. And then Kevin Hopey in cage, 16 saves for Hobart. He looked really good. I think he's a sophomore goaltender for Hobart. And um, he replaced a really good goaltender from 2019's team. And he's playing tough so far. The Mount, Dylan Fernback, he kept the Mount in the game. He had 16 saves on the day. And then Brendan Doyle was 1-3 for the Mount. Bellerman. 
takes on number eight, Notre Dame, loses 12-6. I actually thought Notre Dame might win by a bigger margin than this. They didn't look quite as sharp offensively, but in the end, they still handled their business against Bellarmine on the road on Saturday. Pat Kavanaugh, six assists. Quinn McCann, four goals. Kyle Gallagher was 9-11 from the faceoff dot, and then Charles Leonard was 8-10 of from the faceoff dot. So Notre Dame continues to feed both of these horses at the faceoff dot, and they've continued to dominate. And it makes sense in the live stream. Let me get a sip of water. In the live stream, David Sowers, Mike Sowers' dad, had, had made the comment that you know these teams that are playing a lot of guys, are, it's going to benefit them down the road, assuming they run into situations where COVID or just injury knocks some guys out. You always want to have depth. You always want to try to develop depth in your roster because dudes are going to get hurt and guys are going to have to play more so this season where you, you don't know your entire t- attack line could go down because of COVID and, and contact tracing. And now all of a sudden you got to play your second line. We saw that out of Duke playing their entire second attack line in the first quarter for four minutes against Mercer. So Notre Dame is continuing to feed both of these faceoff guys. And the idea being when they're both playing this well, why the hell wouldn't you let them split time? keep them fresh, and then get them both developed so that you can make a run in the playoffs, even if you didn't have one of them there. Both goalies played well as well in this game. Liam Liam Entman, eight saves for Notre Dame, and J.C. Higginbottom for Bellarmine had uh, 15 saves in the loss. So he, he, once again, he's the reason the score was much more reasonable than it could have been. Higginbottom played tough despite the loss. Air Force against number nine, Virginia. Virginia blasted them. I figured UVA was going to beat Air Force by a margin, but I was not expecting the Cavs to come out and trying to murder people left and right and then take their girlfriends afterwards. UVA's newcomers won the day in terms of the top cats, and it appears that Connor Schellenberger got the started attack. It did look that way, so it looks like they're going with Schellenberger, Moore, and Cormier at attack yesterday. And then Laviano ran out of the box, which I love Laviano, so that was a little bit painful to see, but he came out and scored a goal off the bench, so that was okay. Schellenberger did a lot of the orchestrating of the offense early from behind and continued to look smart behind his ears. He had a really good game. Bertrand, Charlie Bertrand goes 4-1. and one. Connor Schellenberger, 1-4. and four. Matt Moore had four helpers, no goals. Alex Rode had nine saves in cage, and Petey fucking LaSala won 12 of 16 draws and had two goals. I love that kid, and I sorry, I'm sorry I cannot help but drop the F-bomb every time I mention the kid's name. It just happens. It just pops out of me and I can't turn it off. So, yep, they win by a margin. 20, what did I say? Did I even say the final score? 20 to 4. I did not see that coming. That was a very angry Virginia team and Air Force just couldn't hang. Number 11, Denver beat up on St. John's 20 to 6. Denver, uh, I was almost just read the same line again. Alex Simmons for Denver 5 and 4. He had himself a game. Jackson Morrill 2 and 5, Jungle Jack Hanna 4 and 1. Lucas Kotler had a nice game, 3 goals. Ethan Walker, two goals. And the story here continues to be for Denver. Alex Stathakis at the faceoff dot. He's continued his dominance, 19 of 23 in this game. Denver doesn't need TD Erlin, but uh, presumably they're still going to end up getting TD Erlin. And just like Notre Dame has two really good faceoff guys that are dominating, Denver may have two of the best faceoff guys, including Erlin and and Stathakis in the country, which is pretty crazy. So Denver rolls, and they're probably going to continue to roll now that they're in their Big East schedule. Army, number seven Army, had a tough one against Boston U. 12-10, Army pulls out the win. They needed every point they got out of Brendan Nickturn. He goes for three goals and three assists on the day as they edged out the Terriers of Boston U. 12-10. 
The nail in the coffin was Nick turned to Abshire, a goal with uh, with a minute left in the game. It was the only time they hooked up, but those two, I like them, and I'm going to like them next year, I think, even more. And I think all you Army fans are going to be big fans of hearing Nick turn to Abshire. You're going to hear that a lot. Black Knights keeper Wyatt Schupler made 17 saves for Army, continuing to show that he's one of the best goalies in the country day in and day out. You know what you're going to get when Schupler takes the field. And then Stevie Graber picked up 16 to 27 faceoff draws for Army. That was big, a key in helping make sure that they had enough possessions in the end to finish these guys off. Timmy Lay, nice looking player for Boston U. Kid scored goals in a bunch of weird ways, carried the ball well. He had a really nice dive goal from behind up the right side. He had a really nice goal where he kind of dodged from the left goal line extended and ducked underneath his defender and got back to the front and stuck it. So Timmy Lay, promising looking player for Boston U and a bright spot in that loss for them. One I got wrong that I thought Loyola was going to win. Number 10 Loyola lost to number 13 Lehigh, 10 to 6. Tommy Schelling led Lehigh with two goals and four helpers en route to their 10-6 home win over Loyola. Loyola's continued to struggle offensively. That was one of my worries. They just haven't consistently been able to put things together and just have a really good-looking offensive flow despite having a lot of really good pieces in that puzzle. James Spence, the Lehigh keeper, made 17 saves, winning the goalie battle over Sam Schaefer, who didn't have a bad day. Schaefer had 11 saves, but Spence simply played a lot better, and that's kind of the difference in this game was the game that James Spence had in goal. Big stat in this one, face-offs. Lehigh's Mike Sisselberger won 16 of 19 draws versus Bailey Savio and company. Savio had a really rough day, only winning one of the 12 draws he took. I almost am not sure if that's even a real stat. I've been going off of inside lacrosse's stats lately just because it's easier to rip through the schedule. And they've been doing a really good job of keeping all of the stats for the game, but I have found some discrepancies in goalie save percentages not being calculated properly and other things. So I'm never sure if I get a stat wrong. It's maybe I just got it wrong, but it also may be the inside lacrosse. I, I write this up right after these games end, and there might be errors that they haven't corrected yet. So, yeah, he played a hell of a game, winning a boatload of draws. And that stat, stat line alone tells us of why Lehigh won the game. You win that many draws compared to your opponent. Your goalie stands on his head compared to your opponent. You lose. Now, the good thing for Loyola is these things are correctable. You're shooting poorly. Or a goalie stands on his head, one of those two things. Maybe it's a mix of both. Maybe the goalie stood on his head and you shot well. Well, then you hope that that doesn't happen again. You got beat by the goalie. Um, in this case, they got beat by the goalie in the faceoff guys and on the scoreboard. But, you know, those that's something that you hope doesn't follow you around every single game. And then the same thing with the faceoff dot. You, you'd hope, okay, we got murked badly, but you've got Bailey Savio, who's a proven decent faceoff guy. So you would hope that you could correct that too and not have this be indicative of a, of a rough season moving forward. D2 action. And I got to cover this one because I didn't cover Limestone losing last week and Limestone loses again this war, this time to Lenore Ryan. I think I'd been saying it wrong. Someone told me it's not Lenoir, which sounds a lot cooler. It's Lenore Ryan beats Limestone 16-7. Eric Dickinson, four goals, four assists in the win for Lenore Ryan and their defense played great limiting Limestone to just 14 shots on cage. Once again, assuming that stat line is correct. That was what the stat line was. That's pretty insane. So good game out of the Lenore Ryan. And they've been playing tough. I think they're 3-1 and one now or so. And uh, I think their only loss on their schedule might have been to Mercer. Was that the team that, that played Mercer and lost to a D1 team? 
And then uh, as we kind of rip through and see what games I didn't talk about, Bryant beat Merrimack 20 to 8. That game was close early. I started watching that one before the noon games kicked off, but then Bryant ended up handling their business and got their shit together and beat him 20 to 8. Lafayette loses to VMI in a really close one, 13-12. Monmouth beats Manhattan 8-5. I didn't talk about it. Georgetown Marquette. Georgetown's defense gets exposed a little bit. Once again, though, Georgetown is playing without Gibson Smith on defense, their best defender, and one of the best defenders in the country. And they've got a sophomore and a freshman right now, I believe, starting at close D. So still, they still pick up a 20-13 to 13 win. What did uh, Caraway do in this one? Caraway ends up going for three goals and two assists. TJ Haley for Georgetown goes one and five. Dylan Hess, four and one. So even where Caraway isn't scoring eight, nine points, no, Georgetown is proving offensively they are good enough to hang. Now, one thing I do want to say is somebody in the live stream Saturday morning, come on, watch the live stream Saturday mornings, 10 a.m., youtube.com forward slash Lax Factor. Uh, once again, another thing that did, the smartest guy in the room this time, and I forgot to give the T-shirt out because normally I give the T-shirt out to the people who had the smartest comments. I don't think David Sowers needs a free T-shirt, but I think he earned one partly with this this comment that he made is that, yes, Notre, Georgetown looks good, but someone had, had asked me the question, what's the ceiling on Georgetown? Um, and I said, I think their ceiling's high. I think their ceiling's Final Four appearance. You know, I think that's they're that good all around the field. They have a great offensive team. Uh, they're good between the boxes. They have good short stick D mids. They're close defense, one of the best groups in the country. They have Ma um, um, McElroy is one of the best goalies in the country, if not the best goalie in the country. At least that's how he's playing so far. Oh, I didn't even see how did McElroy do in this one. But I said their ceiling's high. And then David Sowers threw out the comment, and it threw me for a loop because I hadn't actually, normally I beat Georgetown and Ohio State up over the quality of their schedules. And for some reason this year, I've given Georgetown a pass because it really does look like despite their weak schedule, they have a really, really solid team top to bottom. And uh, I was like, oh, man, I looked at their schedule, and sure as crap, their schedule, yeah, McElroy, 10, 10 saves versus 10 goals against. So not his normal not not his normal outing. That explains some of it. The kid's going to have to be human at some point here. But as we look at Georgetown's schedule, their schedule, Villanova, St. John's, Mount St. Mary's, and Marquette is who they've played so far. They should be 4-0 after that stretch. They have Denver next weekend. Then they have Providence, Villanova again, who they've already beat badly. St. John's, Marquette, Denver. I mean, they don't play anybody. Denver and Loyola are the only truly solid teams that they're playing and even Loyola's kind of seeming a little bit down so David Sowers made that point if uh, Georgetown is playing a schedule this week and then the people that they're going to come there because they're making the tournament and then the teams that they end up playing come tournament time end up have you know the ACC has played each other the Big Ten they've beaten each other up so you got these ACC and Big Ten teams even the America East might teams might be playing a tougher schedule than what Georgetown is playing overall are they going to be ready for the tournament compared to the other teams that they're going to have to face? And I'll have to say, probably, because I think that sometimes, even with a weak schedule, if you have the right pieces in place, it's just going to transcend the fact they haven't played anybody, and when they get on the field, they know what they're doing. And if they have a good flow going, I think they could be okay, but that is something to watch. Notre Dame plays one of the weakest schedules, uh, the weakest schedule out of every team in the top 10 by far. They may have the weakest schedule out of any team in the top 20 by far. Maybe not by far, but it's going to be close. So that is something to watch. And Dave Sowers, I uh, have your address probably, so I will uh, send you your T-shirt for posing that excellent comment. What I always tell people, I love the good questions in the live feed because I, the live 
the live stuff, what I've noticed, doesn't go as well while I'm doing this kind of thing and talking more than I like answering questions in the live feed. And the better the, the better the questions that people asked, the better the live feeds would end up being because if I just did nothing but field questions and just answer them, A, I get to sound smart because I do my research and I do know a lot about most of these teams, but then B, it just flows better. You know, you end up having people ask good questions that I normally wouldn't even think to, to ask myself. So keep that up, people. Get in the live feed, ask me some tough, hard-hitting questions, and I will try my best to answer them. Uh, UMBC and Stony Brook, I'd mentioned it in passing, they go into four overtimes in their game. UMBC ends up beating Stony Brook 13-12. to I figured Stony Brook would probably win by a goal or two, but UMBC proved they're tough. The America East is going to be a really quality conference, so I'm going to try to you know do a good job of making sure that we cover those games as well. Uh, who else? Uh, we got St. Bonaventure picked up their first win over Quinnipiac. Or Quinnipiac, I think someone corrected me. I call it Quinnipiac because I'm like Bellerman is like it, you. It, everyone always wants to say Bellermine or Bellermine, and I think it's just Bellerman. Uh, so I thought Quinnipiac might be just a more simple pronunciation too. I think I'm wrong. I think it's Quinnipiac, but anyway, Saint Bonaventure beats them 13-6. So they get there. I think that's their first win at the D1 level. I could be wrong. Sacred Heart loses to LIU. Uh, Marist beat Detroit Mercy 15-11. Drexel beat Towson by two. I was going to talk about that one, and I didn't. Binghamton University, down the road for me, albeit they were playing in New Jersey. They beat New Jersey Tech 11-5. Who else did we not talk about? Canisius beat Siena 8-7. A bunch of one-goal games in these mid-level games. Jacksonville beat Utah 8-3 in Utah, it looks like. Delaware beat Fairfield 17-9, so the Blue Hens are still looking tough. And Colgate beat Holy Cross late in OT, 12-11. So Colgate loses to Albany. I think they lost to Albany. And then they turn around and beat Holy Cross at their place at Colgate. And that was it. That was all of the games. So that is all, folks. I think I've been rambling for a good amount of time here. I think I did a good job. I'm going to pat myself on the back. I think that was a solid effort, solid show. I'm going to golf clap myself into Sunday. I get to watch Duke and Richmond today. That's the big game today. Today what we have here is Providence... Villanova at Providence, Cleveland State at Bucknell. Poor Bucknell has had a bunch of games get canceled on them already, and this will be their first time out. I like Bucknell in this one, by the way. And then Duke at Richmond at 4 o'clock, so we can all kind of hang around all day, and then uh, once just before dinner time, we can sit our butts down and watch Duke at Richmond. That should be a good one. I think Duke I don't I, I think we're done seeing the ACC teams underachieve in their out of conference games. I think you're going to see them handle these teams by four or five, six goals as they finish their non-conference schedules out, but that'll be an interesting one here. We'll see if, if Richmond, it's not the weekend or it's not the weekday either. So I don't feel like there's an upset in store for us today because it's Sunday. Everyone's in their normal flow. And I think the ACC team is going to roll in this one. Prediction, hot take. Mike Sowers has eight points in this game and Nakai Montgomery has five points in this game. And uh, I'm hoping that not Nakai Montgomery just ends up tearing things up except for when he plays Syracuse because I, I like that we had some weirdness early in the season with him where a bunch of people were being jerks to one of the broadcasters for criticizing Montgomery's play when Montgomery's play over 2020 and even into that first game or two of Dukes deserved, his play deserved to be criticized if you want to be a jerk about it. Uh, but then I'm glad to see him respond in a positive manner by murking fools. So that's good as well. And then Diggs Tape. Uh, at one point, we Diggs Tape and I were going back and forth on Twitter, and I had made a tweet talking about, you know, thanks for tuning in, fools, or thanks, thanks fools for tuning in or something like that. And he thought that I accidentally uh, auto-corrected folks. 
that I was trying to thank the folks for turning in. And I told them, nope, I call people fools. It's a term of endearment for me. So I'm going to say it here today to close out here. Hey, fools, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Be back Wednesday for our midweek kind of recaps. We'll talk about stuff that happened this weekend. We'll talk about stuff that's going to happen the next weekend, just kind of a random assortment of things that we noticed and things that are to come on Wednesday morning of this upcoming week. And then again, Saturday live stream. And then I, we do have a, we're, we, I finally got the first videos cut up to put out our, our more instructional videos and film reviews. Those will start dropping this week as well. So as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Go to laxfactor.com, support us, get some swag. And that is it. Hoost is out. 